to another episode of Trap Talk. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with uh, Mike Blaisdale. We also have co-host Ricky Marshall Jr. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hey, thanks. Ricky, Hello, everyone. Would you do the honors of introducing Mike? I know he doesn't need much introduction, but... Yeah, no, absolutely. We're here with Mike Blaisdell. Mike's from Keene, New Hampshire. Uh, I've known Mike for some 48, about 30 years since I was about 18 years old. Um, Mike's a 13-time All-American. He's the 2005 Eastern Zone Singles Champion, where he set him and Brian Whalen and KOE set the shootoff record of 575 that year, um, along with I think 199, if I'm not mistaken, in the in the event, Mike. Yeah, it was 19, um, 19 of them, 199s. Yeah. Wow. So Mike's uh, an Eastern Zone shooter, but Mike does travel out to the to the West Coast. Mike's been around a long time. He first started shooting in 1975. And I did a little background because wow. Mike did years ago take a, a lesson from me at the Grand in Vandalia. But Mike's, the, this year, you'll be pushing right at 300,000 registered targets. That's correct. So, that, that's a lot, lot of shooting. So welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks, Ricky. Thank you very much. You're a wealth of knowledge, obviously, a very distinguished career, a lot of wins from coast to coast and a lot of targets. You know, just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, Mike. You know, what's your story? What got you into trap shooting? And, and what keeps you passionate about the sport we all love? I, um, our, my family had a sporting goods store in 1973. They had this National Hunting and Fishing Day, and we were a vendor there. And it happened to be at a small trap called up Langdon, New Hampshire. I mean, it was in the boonies. And so after I got to get out a little bit and see, you know, you could try everything. They had pistol shooting, rifle shooting, and they had this, this trap shooting. So you shot one shot from each post, and, um, and I kind of liked it. And, um, geez, I... This guy walked up to me and he said, uh, geez, you shoot pretty good. He said, we have a junior team down in Keene and uh, we'd like to have you come, you know, try it for us. And um, that's where it started right there in 1973. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us. So for our new shooters that are getting into the game, what do you think is important? Because I know you're a coach and I know we're going to talk a little bit about that later in the show, but. But what do you think are some important things that newer shooters can do to get involved with the sport and then also to better their sport? You know, to do what I still do today and I did way back then, I went and watched all the best shooters I could. I mean, when, you know, like in New England, New England's a really small area. I mean, you know, you guys got states bigger than the New England areas. I mean, especially as shooters are involved. Um, so I, I had a limited amount of people that I could go watch. Um, and then I, I get to meet Koye and Kay, you know, I went to one of his classes and stuff. And, uh, so he was a big time shooter. I mean, I didn't realize how big he was. And, uh, along with another guy, Frank Little, and they came up into the New England areas, uh, to shoot in some of the smaller shoots. It's kind of kind of interesting because they would travel back then um, with Gene Anastasio. Remember Gene Anastasio yep. and Woody Brown? They, they, I mean, they really 
were great people. And they, in fact, brought a brand new shooter to the New Hampshire State shoot way back, a guy named Chris Denman. Oh. <laughs> so we yeah. kind of got, you know, a lot of people, you know, they came up here and shot, and we got to see some, you know, Chris was just starting along with I was. But, you know, Frank Little and Kayoya were the, the people, you know, in the New England, not New England, but in the East Coast area. And then, of course, you had, you know, my great friend, Den- Dennis Bebeau, who passed away. I mean, Dennis was just great, not only a great human being, but he was a very, very good shooter. I think Dennis won over 50 Vermont state titles. And of course, he was the Grand American handicap champion. Yep. Um, he beat, uh, I think it was Keith Ditto. He beat in the yep. shoot off. Uh, he had a fifth in the hunt. I was on the squad with him with, you know, there was, let's see, Darrow, Handy, myself, Billy Amsaldi, Phil Wright, and Dennis. And when he broke the hundred, and it was a special day, especially for his mother to be there. But, you know, that's kind of where. Um, I would uh, start my career and go out, and then when I got to travel, because all I had to all I had to work with was the Trap and Field magazine, and I'd look at all these people that were in the, like, you know, Dan Orlick and, and, and Leo Harrison and Brad Deisinger. I mean, you could go down the list of all the greats. And um, when I first got to travel a little bit, the first time I ever met Leo was at the Ohio State Shoot. I was a guest of a friend who had a free ticket, and I went out there. And, and I'll never forget it when I saw him walking down the, the uh, sidewalk there because it was at the old Grand. And I go, is he Leo Harrison, you know? And I said, should I go up and talk to him? You know, I was a, I was a bigger fan than I was a shooter. But that's what I do. I would go watch Leo. I mean, I still today, I go watch Ricky. I Anybody who I, you know, have a lot of respect for in the game has, we call it, you know, top-end shooter. I go to watch them and see what I can pick up from them. I, and of course, being approachable, you can talk to them too. And, and I think that's what a lot of people should do. They should go out and develop their style by going watching these great shooters. Well, and, and that's one of the things, Mike. You, you're just like I was. I mean, I remember my first grand in 1988 in Vandalia, you know, walking the line and, and finding people and seeing Leo. Of course, I was fortunate, as you knew, my coach and mentor, Frank Oppie. Yeah. Frank was one of his best friends was Leo. Yeah. So they shot together occasionally, but um, at the grand, I happened to see Leo. I was 13 years old and he waved at me. I'll never forget that. And I was like, Are you talking to me? <laughs> you know, yeah. we went over there and chatted a little bit and then we watched and that whole grand, I remember my dad back then we didn't have cell phones, you know? So He'd come walking down the line and looking for me. What are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm watching this guy. Someone said he's a he's a good shooter. And it was, you know, I watched Benias and Stafford and and Leo and Steve Carmichael, Brent Robinson, even the the infamous Mike Jordan, you know, yeah. one of the top industry reps ever. Uh, you know, Devin yeah. Harris. I mean, all these people. And and I was fortunate. Gerald Christman. Yep. You know, it was one of the top single shooters. Yep. And what was it? Al Fierro, I think. Yeah, from California. He had from the California. high average that year. Yeah. Ferrera. That's yeah, him. Fierro. Al yeah. Ferrera. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know, and I remember when I started, he was up and coming, killing it. Yeah. So I would go and watch these people. And I'll never forget, I had people back home say, how'd the grand go? And I was like, oh, man, I, you know, I did that first year. I won. 
I was runner-up in the overall in sub-junior, and I won two doubles trophies, which I still have them in my office here. And they're like, well, what else? I'm like, oh, man, I watched so-and-so. They're like, who? You know, you could look it up in trap field occasionally, but yeah. they were like, oh, they're pretty good. I was like, oh, yeah, you should see how they shoot singles or how that guy shoots doubles. Brent Robinson, he shoots a target before you can even see it come out. He does. So, And that's the thing I think people, the up-and-coming shooters don't do, or even new shooters, young shooters or whatever, is go out and watch people. You'll learn more that way than, than honestly just talking to someone at your local gun club. One of the other things, Ricky, too, is that I, I'm a big supporter of the history of this game. We all remember Dickie Baldwin. I mean, you wrote that book, The Road to Yesteryear. I mean, I still haven't cherished that copy. But I think the kids today or the young people today, if you come up and you mention some of these people in the past, they don't know who they are. And, and I think that's a sad because these are the people that built our game, you know, from the heyday. You guys, you know, Ricky and I kind of came in at the end of it, but in, you know, in the 1960s, 70s, I mean, it was just rocking. I mean, guys were making, you know, they knew it was shoot. And some of these guys left their businesses and left their, their, their trades to go trap shooting because they could make three times the money, you know, doing trap shooting and it was like um it was crazy it was absolutely crazy and that's one of the deals is you've been doing this a long time mike's a family man you know his wife teresa she shot a little bit um she's a state champion state yeah state champion now your son jake he's off in uh in college yeah jake's Um, a junior at ithaca college he's a new hampshire state champion and singles and you know the great part was is I got to shoot with my son, Jake, my wife, mm-hmm. Teresa, my father-in-law, Ralph Wanless, and myself, and the four of us. And then um, it was just a very special time. Jake's all grown up now. He's, he's, been, he's like I said, he's a junior at Ithaca College. He's studying uh, exercise science. He's, he'll, still, he'll go with me. He goes, hey, Pops, you won the range today? And I go, yeah, yeah. he'll still go. He can still go out and break 95, 96 like nothing. And, yeah. But he's turned to uh, the sport of powerlifting, you know, USA powerlifting. But the good thing is he's been exposed to it, and he'll come back to it. At some point, he will come back to it. Well, and I remember Jake when he was just a, a wee little guy when I came out and did a lesson at Keene yep. and uh, stayed with you and Teresa and Jake, and he was just a little little kid. Now he's like, Makes me and you look small. So. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's it's yeah. You see, that's what happens when you feed them; they grow. <laughs> but you remember that picture I sent you of you in, in the old grand? Yeah, I mean, I just found a whole slew of pictures from back then, and a lot of these people that aren't with us anymore. I mean, you know, I've come to that age where now I'm the old guard. I'm the guy. You know, Ricky's coming up in there. We. We really have a lot of stories, and there's some stories that Ricky and I can't share with you on this program, but (laughs) they're going to be memories forever. I mean, forever. That's the one thing about this sport is it's not always about the the trophies, and, and, you know, I've been fortunate to win a lot. So have you, Mike, and and so have you, Zach. I mean, you're the the young pup here, but, you know, you've won your your fair share. 
But in the end of the day, it's not always about the trophy. It's right. about the friendships, the memories. You know, I look back. I mean, we, we like we were just talking about this. We just lost a good friend, Tom Buxman, back in, in Thanksgiving time. And, and Turbo was kind of like a second dad to me. His wife, Marge Buxman, was yep. like my second mom. I made the 27-yard line shoot with, with Marge. I broke my first 100 through my 11th 100 straight from the 27 shoot with Tom. So, you know, a lot of history there. But it wasn't always about the scores. I can think back of all the scores I broke, but it's about the memories and the friendships, you know. Absolutely. I mean, like, Absolutely. like you're 25 hours from me. We talk on the phone. You know, we when we see each other at shoots, we sit down and we we reminisce about the old times and, yeah. and good times. And that's the part of the shooting that I think the, the newer shooters don't understand yet what no. this sport will bring to them yeah. as the years to come. You know, and they're fearless. You know, these kids mm -hmm. you watch, I, I watched a segment on Dagan Boynton, you know, and the yep. great question, you know, how did you feel going into that last box, you know, and I, I mean... They have no fear. Mm -hmm. You know, I can, if I was in that position, you've been in that position, Ricky. I mean, you can't, you can't, um, you can explain it to somebody, but until you do it, yeah. until, you know, in my classes, people say, geez, you know, what's a, you know, how can I break 100 straight? I says, well, I can teach you to break 95, but you're on your own for the last five. That comes with experience, you know, going through it, failing, you know, how many, we're in a sport that commands excellence. Yeah. We go out, we, if we don't break 200 in a singles event, we failed. Mm. But you know the great thing is? The next day we get up and we get to go do it again. That's exactly right. I always tell my students, I tell everybody, even just people we sit and talk to, they're like, you know, God, what about this? You know, there's always another event. Yeah. You know, there's always yeah. another shoot. It's sad to say this, but you got to learn to fail, fail before you can succeed. And it is, you are right. I mean, last year, I mean, I had a 99.60 singles average. I missed 20 targets over 5,000. Did I win every singles event? Absolutely not. Did I win more than my fair share? Yes, I was fortunate to do that. Mm -hmm. But it's the, the mental game. Yep. It's getting out there and standing there. And you've done that, Mike, like we talked about when you were through 05 singles breaking 575 straight, I mean, that's a tough feat. There's not been many people that I know of that have done that. You, I think Stu Weldon's, you know, yep. been that that distance. Yep. Foster and, and Leo. Leo, 900. You know, Crazy. they went 900. I think the most I've ever been is like, I want to say 450, 475. And I know I was whooped then. I'm thinking yeah. about dinner and beer. <laughs> In the the weird part about that deal is that I had to get it. We were going on a family vacation. So I had, we were in Elysburg, Pennsylvania. I had to hook up my trailer. I had to drive yeah. eight hours, 300 and something miles to go home, drop my trailer, get, get in the car, drive to Quebec City, get in the plane, and go to Anacostia Island for a family vacation. You might as well put me in the ocean and sent me out there to die because I was just dying from it. But you just do it. You know, yeah. and that's what they say. When you get in these shootouts, you know, she's, how'd you do that? I don't know. I just did it. And that's what people have to realize that you just go one target at a time, 
just keep going. If you if anybody can get through the mental process, you guys know that. I mean, we all feel it. We all have pressure. Yeah, we all have pressure. We're gonna learn to deal with pressure. What's even more amazing about that is not only do you have to do it, but somebody else has to do it with you to get that far, right? Like that's what always bothered me is like I knew watching Leo and watching Rick and watching some other guys that they win, but I always wondered like how much farther could have they went. Because like I watched him, I'm like, man, everybody was gone at 350, but could Leo win another 300 tonight? Like, you know, he could have. You know, you know, if someone was there to push him, he could have really went the distance on that. Bringing that up, we talked about you being a coach earlier, Mike. You know, talk a little bit about your mental game. And I know you said get people to 95 and they've got to get their own way. But, you know, what are some things that you're doing? in your mind when you're out there and you're 190 straight, 195 straight, and you're like, okay, I'm going to finish this. What are your focal points? I'm going to give you the number one tip. You got to breathe. People, when they get pressure, stop breathing. I know I do. And that's all I focus on is breathing through the last, whenever it hits you, you don't know when it's going to hit you. Is it going to be 176 target? Is it going to be this one? You don't know what it's going to be. It might be the first one. This year at the Empire Grid, I missed the first one out of the house. Ran 199. Got the shoot-off, missed the first one out of the house. Ran the next 74 to win the Empire Grand Championship. The Open Division. So you can't give up. So those are the things I'm thinking out there. Some people, they get so upset when they miss a target. It, you know, you got to get over. No one's going to give it back to you. The guys are going to say, oh, you're having a tough, tough day today. I'm going to give you that one. No, you got to suck it up and you got to go. In my teaching parts, I always give credit. You know, my, my guy started me was, was Kay. Kay Oye was, I'll just tell you, he's my mentor. He's my guy. Not because he, he advocated and I advocated too. You go take lessons from anybody that's out there. And Ricky will tell you this. I had a, I had some people out in the Midwest. They had to call me. They were going to fly in here. And I said, you know, that's awful expensive. Let me, let me tell you something. There's a guy out in Nebraska. You give him a call, and he'll do just as good as I will at teaching you. And I said, he has, all, he has more accolades than I got. But, you know, go see him. And I took it from Frank Little. I took lessons from Ricky. I took lessons from um, uh, Phil Kiner. You go down the line. I mean, and I put together my own uh, shooting style. And that's what I tell my people, you know, you know, who had the weirdest shooting style of ever? I mean, I don't mean it was, it was Jerry Phillips. You know, oh. you know, there's no right or wrong way to do this. You know, this yeah. guy's, I shot with this guy in, in, uh, in Virginia, he breaks 99 out of 100 from the 27-yard line, never put the gun to his shoulder. He had it under his armpit because he couldn't yep. lift his arm. I think his name was Smitty or something. Look at, look at Bat at the grand, the guy with the, in the wheelchair, you know, shooting off the so, end of the barrel. I mean, the 72-inch barrel or whatever it was. Yeah. You know, yep. so you have to, and I will advocate this to, to people, you got to keep a book. I've kept the book since 1999. I write down everything after a tournament, what I won, what the traps were, where I was, what the weather was. Because now that was, what, 99, 20, almost 24 years ago. 
And I'm still going back into those things and reading it, seeing little whips that I put. Make your own history. Make your own history. I'll agree with that. I've taken a a journal since I started shooting. And when you go to Silver Dollar, you know that it's a little different than when you go to the Midwest (laughs) and vice versa when you go to California on that West Coast target. And I think you go to a gun club to figure out what they're throwing just like golfers go to golf courses to figure out what they're playing. And even then it changes year to year based on your weather patterns, based on humidity, based on light, based on the maintenance of the machines. I mean, all of those things. Thank you for sharing your, your mentor with us. uh, Kay, I have watched you shoot and, and I know Kay style is very much up in the air and waiting for the target to kind of get to his barrel and then making left to right lateral movements. How is your style different than that? Or is it pretty mirrored and kind of walk us through what you're doing at the tip of the gun when you're out there shooting? You know, I've gone back and I remember, go back into my, when I started shooting, I was a one-eyed shooter. I started as a one-eyed shooter. You know, I made the All-American team as a one-eyed shooter. And then I switched to two eyes. In the year I did that, was a year, I believe it was Ricky and I were the only ones to grin that had the 300. I had, yeah. I remember that? I had, I, and it was my first 100 in doubles. So mm-hmm. it's him and I, I mean, this is for a ring. You know, there's only two guys, you know, all of them, and I'm going, this, this is my chance. This is my chance. And I go out and shoot like 86 in the handicap. You know, I am not a very good handicap shooter, and I'll admit that. So I have struggled to work on that. And it was it was Tommy Wilkinson and Jerry uh, Russo that said, "Mike, you got to go to two eyes." So I took the time and I switched my eyes and I trained my right eye to be dominant. And I've been a two eye shooter now ever since then. But if you go through, I have brought my stuff and brought brought it down in the house. They always said, "Well, you got a two eye shooter, you got to keep your eyes up above." You know, and, and so you have all the advantage of not moving the targets. It, I mean, moving, moving the gun. You're not going to move it so far. Now, you know, I, over the years, I've come back down on the house. You know, I'm listening to Ricky and Dagan and, and all those stuff. I mean, I had Pat Lamont here for Thanksgiving, which is just, this kid is, I shouldn't say kid. This young man is incredible. He's on fire. You know, he is unbelievable. And to talk to him about what he does is to, He's, he's so simple. He's so simplistic. You know, he's like, I just shoot the target. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's true. He's not, he's yeah. not goofing with us. He, nope. That's how he is. He has the same setup, you know, that he has, you know, whatever I shoot with him. I'm going to shoot with him for the spring grand. And, and he, I will sit there and I'm in, I'm in awe. I just watch him before I shoot or after I shoot. I, I'm looking at him. I'm watching. And, and he's up in the air. So again, Back of the house, front of the house, you know, I'm, I'll say right now, when I'm coming out to Tucson, I'm going to be about a foot over the house in singles. I'm going to be right on the lip and handicap, and I'm going to be right up where my singles is for the first shot of doubles. That's my game plan. Yep. Yep. And and then, so you you said something that I really want to spend a second on. You were one-eyed and you went to two eyes, okay? Yep. And you said you trained that. Yep. For shooters that have dealt with dominancy issues, what were you doing to train that to actually make that transition? Because the difference between seeing with two eyes versus one is like 
nine day difference. Would you agree? Absolutely. But the gun movement is not that much different. Mm-mm. Not that much different. And I've had a long discussion with Nora about this, you know, and, you know, here's one, you know, one of the greater one-eyed shooters that were out there. For sure. And, you know, how I did it, it was funny because I just researched it and Tommy Wilkinson told me to go see Stevie Carmike. And, and I talked to Steve and he gave me the regimen on what to do. And it was basically, you know, it was after the grands. And I said, I'm going to do this. And, and even Casey, Mike, I don't think you can do this to be successful. You've been too long as a one-night shooter. And I said, and that's all I need. Someone tell me I can't do something. Can't do because it. I'm yeah. just, you know, because I said, I'm going to quit this game. Because if I'm not, if I'm going to go out here and not be able to be competitive, you know I me mean? all around some high overalls I lost because of my handicap shooting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm telling her, yeah, oh, it, it kills me. So I had to, I had to make a change, and that's what people have to do: is take it, make a change, but stick with it. And so I took a BB gun and I shot it in a swinging can on a broomstick, and I did that because the BB goes so slow. I could see when I crossfired, my left eye would take over and see the BB go. So I did that, and then I got, when I got a little bit better weather, I got a 22 with a one-power scope, and I shot thousands. I'm telling you, 15, 20,000 rounds with that one-power scope at a target. And, and I could see it happen. You will see it happen. You see your left eye take over and look down the side of the gun, yep. and then your, the, the one-power will take over, and it'll draw your right eye into the, to see down the scope. So I did that for about three months, and then I went out and shot my first round of trap. I broke a seven. You know, I was a triple. I was a double A shooter at the time. I broke a seven. So I didn't break a little the, off the base. I didn't break into the twenties for over seven to eight thousand rounds. Oh, geez, that long, that long. It, it, it was ironically, it came to with this first spring grand I went to. I went out there with my first time to go shoot with two eyes and a major championship, and I broke one night. So, so I think that's huge for the listeners today because you made a commitment and you said, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be able to win one eye the way I want to win. This is costing me these all arounds. I'm going to spend the time effort to do this. And then after you spent months training with the BB gun and much training with the 22, you still went out and shot a seven. And then from there, you didn't just give up. You went no. 8,000 rounds and said, I'm not giving up with this until I figure it out or it kills me. That's right. And I was able to, and I verified it. Ricky, Ricky and I had a lot of conversations about that. He was telling me he was having some trouble with his shooting. And, he's, and I said, geez, I am too, Rick. I, I just can't figure this. Maybe it's my eye again. He says, well, I'm getting on a plane. I'm going to go see Andy Davidson. You remember that? Yep. Rick? yep. And he says, because you got to take care of your, your, um, your prescriptions. Because if yep. it changes a little bit, it's going to change. And he was absolutely oh, yeah. right. So I kept up on my prescriptions. And the doctors would tell me, yeah, That's Mike, right. you, you pretty much got it. But we're going to put a little bit more tweaks on that side so we don't get that. You know, and plus, I use a blinder. I'm a big yep. advocate of the blinder at the end of the gun. So because one of, those, one of those blinders at the end of the rib to block yep. you from seeing that side. And I know Harlan has that on his gun. You have that on your gun. I believe Bendel has it on his gun also. Is that true? Yep. yep. And Kiner has it on his gun. Kay's the one who developed that in 1968. 
he had a student that was crossfiring and he couldn't, he, he put a piece of that uh, mask, was it now that d- dino tape? Remember that dino, dino tape? tape? Yep. And then he, he actually came up and, and got a, a piece of metal, it was an old laptop like it was, and, you know, put it on the sides of the guns for people. And I find that, now I can shoot with two eyes without the blinder, but what happens is when you get tired, my left eye will have a tendency to want to take over. So all that really is is a little safety catch for me. It lets you know it's happening, and then you can re-suck back onto the gun with that right eye, correct? I I don't see any – when I have that blinder on, I don't see any deviation. But I will see it if I don't have the blinder on. Got it. Now, Mike, have you ever used the tube sight? So it's a it's similar to the blinder, but it's it's a long tube about – Oh, I guess what three, four inches long with a green like dot. A, yeah, it's got a the it's a green, white, yep, uh, yep, orange, whatever. So that's yep. what Dustin Klein uses. Dusty Klein, yep, who won the clay target when he was eighteen. Mm-hmm. Dusty is a left eye dominant, and he mm-hmm. shoots two eye with that suit that sight tube. Yep, because I've seen him, said, but I haven't used it. He he right. likes that better than the than the blade because. Said occasionally that blade, he goes, Oh, I see it kind of a weird look. Where this mm-hmm. way, all I can see is with that tube, is I can see with my right eye, and that's it. Yeah, that's so, a good suggestion. That's another that's another option for people struggling with this. It, yeah. It really looks like a looking through a straw. And yes. looking through that straw at the end of it, there's a glowing worm or even a bead. I know people have put the straw there and it's left their original bead, and that works too. But mm-hmm. But it's just causing your right eye to be the thing that's driving the gun. And and yep. I think there's so much more depth perception when you're using two eyes versus one eye. I mean, mm-hmm. I know when I've taught people and they've got that eye closed, they have a hard time reaching out and knowing distance on a target versus, I mean, even if you, you know, if you're going to do one eye and you use a tape or a patch or a dot, I feel like you still get more peripheral vision with that dot than you would closing the eye and pulling the muscles on the head. Do you guys agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you get zero depth perception with your eye closed. Now, with tape or blinder, you you have the depth perception. So you you can tell. Because I'll use that. Or I have used a straw one time in a class. I was teaching somewhere down south, and a, and a guy was struggling. And I said, you're left eye dominant. Nope, I'm right eye dominant. I did all the tests and you could tell, you know, he's like, eh, and he last minute bring it to his right eye. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to try something. And I went inside, they had a bar there and I, they had a straw. So I grabbed the straw and I grabbed some just basically, you know, uh, masking tape. And I taped this straw and it was about five or six inches long on his rib. And he's like, what are you doing? And I said, I just want you to shoot the target. He mounts the gun and he's like, oh, and he's like, oh, well, next thing you know, it was pull back, pull back. And he's like, uh, Rick, I think you might be right. I might be left eye dominant. He goes, but I really see that. And I'm like, so he shot that way. He was basically a weekend shooter and he came to the Southern Grand. I'll never forget. He came down to the Southern Grand that one year. He shot like a hundred singles, broke like 98 or 99, his career high. He still had that straw in there, and he goes, this thing's getting pretty ratty. What do I do? And I'm like, stop by McDonald's and grab some extra straw. I mean, what, you know, we just, it was funny, though. He just, he, it, it worked. 
pay so. you, you to charge him $99 and said that's a Rick Larson special. Listen, Zach, I'm not, my last name is not Namini. Yeah. Okay. You know, Kay used to take in classes and take target boxes and he'd cut them yep. up with scissors and he'd make, he would include everything on the left and you'd have a little window with that target and he'd staple it to the brim of your hat. And people would show up at and shoots and they just believed in it so much they leave that hat on with that target box on there but you know he he really had a lot of stuff early on you know that pretty innovative i've always said you know, if you got you guys you get guys like ray stafford you know if he ever i, mean, I love to be inside his mind you know you you know yeah. my little friend mike tullis oh like, yeah I mean, we talk about if if, if uh, somebody what they people have for knowledge. I mean, if they just write it down, and you know, Kay yeah, has written some of it. Kay's written a couple books. It's funny. I mean, I'm I'm 48, but I've had some people ask me, like, why don't you write a book? And I said, well, I'm have to wait for a lot of these people to be deceased. <laughs> there might be a lot of pissed off. <laughs> People, you know, no, no, I think it's out there. I think, I mean, look at you know, Dero wrote a book. Remember that guy, yep. Russell? Remember that? He, yeah, that Jim Russell, James Russell, James Ross Russell. Okay, I, you know, I buy everyone's Trap Shooter Secrets, Trap Shooter yep. Secrets, too. I've read those books, yeah, obviously. Um, you've got the, the Little Shooting Handbook, Frank Little. Yep. Um, you know, the person who I'd like to see write a book that didn't, that at least from my knowledge, Ray never wrote a book, did he? No, and I asked him about it, and he just he has no interest in doing it. And um, he just he says, I'm not a writer. I said, Well, get a ghostwriter, you know, do something. Yeah. Well, well, I'm not good at spelling it, but all right, you know, I mean, just got to interview the guy, right? Oh, man. Well, you, you look at Steve Carmichael. Yes, Carmichael's yes, written right. two books now. I'm almost all the way through his second book, mm -hmm. you know, and, and Steve's probably our all time greatest left handed shooter. Right here, there's there the it second is. one. So we're, um, Little sneak peek, but uh, we're going to have Steve come on to the show here in a couple of weeks and, and do an interview Good. talking about his book. So, I mean, if you don't know about Steve Carmichael, I mean, he's the man and he's got a lot of a lot of good knowledge and obviously knows his way around a shotgun. Yeah, yeah. and I picked up stuff from him reading his books. And these are all little things. And I, and I tell my students to go, you know, go try this. If you find something, that's what the practice trap is for. Mm -hmm. But here's your deal. Don't give up on what your original settings are. Make sure you know where your cold life is. Document your firearm. This is, you know, I learned this from Mikey Tullis a long time ago. You gotta document stuff. Mike's not, you know, Mike, Mike probably, as far as a shooter, we all know. I mean, the game is made up of Mike Tullis. Really. Yeah. If it wasn't, this game doesn't survive on you guys, you know, us. It survived on the B shooter, the C shooter. I mean, Mike's been shooting for 40 something years, 30 something years. Well, and he's, and he a, he's a tweaker. He, you know, I, I remember doing lessons with him and I had him breaking targets. And he's like, what? Let me, let me. I'm like, <laughs> you, you, you leave everything the same, the consistency. That's how you become a right. top shooter, you know. But, but it's not going to, Mike, it's not going to happen for Mike's, but he enjoys yep. what, you know, being to be able to. Come talk to us and have a beer with us, or you know, talk stuff. He—that's his part of the game. That's what keeps him coming back. And we yeah. have to realize that too, as, as, as top shooters, that there are people out there. You know, we have to be. I feel to be an all-American is a lot more than being just say you're an all-American. You have exactly. to be approachable to people. 
You know, I know Ricky is, and I know you are, Zach, and, and because they really, they want to talk to us, and we should make ourselves available to them. We owe that to them. Forget about the clinic stuff. And the, you know, yeah. I don't care about that. Yeah. If I can help somebody, you know, stay in this game or give them a little tip that keeps makes them happy, and that's what we're here for, to help each other, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the ultimate goal is growing the sport of trap and seeing people. Absolutely. And like you said, your son's, you know, doing what he's doing now, but he was a shooter and he's going to come back around and everybody comes back around. And I think when people get frustrated and they're in that hole and they're like, man, I don't know what to do. Well, then you lose your friends and it's the best part of this game is keeping them around. So I really believe that's why we started this podcast in the first place, just to give as much good information as we can to the listeners, to the shooters, to the people that are going through difficulties. I mean, just today alone, talking about your left eye dominant issue, mm-hmm. that that's going to help so many people alone. And I really appreciate you giving that knowledge and, and, and it's important. Picking it on that just a little bit more, I've come across, and you guys can tell me this if you haven't or not, but I've come across a few students now who are right eye dominant but they cross dominant to the left as they're going to a target or when they're moving on post one or post two. Do you guys ever see that happening? I mean, someone that truly is right. Absolutely. And it, and it like flip dominant, like depending on light or depending on how they're set up, the dominancy will change from eye to eye. Is that, is that something you've come across? Yes. Yep. Yes, I do. So, so what do you think is a cure for that person when it's not always left eye dominant or not always right eye dominant? I don't think it's 100% a cure, Zach. I think it, you do the best you can. You have the blinder or you go to the tube site like Ricky did, like uh, uh, he was talking about. You can try different things, but it's, you know, fatigue. You know, and this is one thing they don't talk about so much in the game. Uh, and actually, I just did a podcast with my son on his uh, strength and conditioning. I know for me, getting older, you got to get in shape. You you really, I mean, if you look at a lot of people in this game, they're big people. I mean, look, Ricky, I mean, they can take that, that torquing from that 12-gauge shotgun. I mean, shooting 300 targets a day, shooting 300,000 rounds. Not My really. body has been beat up over 47 years. Trust me. I got to get stronger. And if you get, and there's, Back in the day, and I used to do them a lot, was the eye exercises. Remember the, the ball cord? You know, the three little balls on the cord and, and working your eyes up and down the string? You have to exercise your eyes like you exercise your body. You know, it, if it only buys you one or two targets, that, that's what that's we're huge. looking for. Yeah, that's huge in an all-around and overall. And, and, and Zach, touch on what you were talking about. Uh, and Mike's right, the fatigue. A lot of it has to do with Newer shooters, when they switch, I've seen with not staying locked into the gun and their head comes off and then they're, oh, so they, they're moving their head around. I mean, there's a lot of things without seeing someone actually do it, it. It all pertains. But going back, like we're talking with Mike, and I think this is probably, Zach, one of our, our better examples that we've had on the podcast of with Mike. I mean, he's an all-American trap shooter. Um, multiple time, you know, state times, champion. Right? Well, yeah, 13 times, but multiple state championships, zone championships, satellite grands, yet grand American, you know, wins, blah, blah, blah. But he was determined to be a two eyed shooter. 
So for the listeners out there, and, and I tell people this in my clinics all the time, when I ask you to try something and, and you're going to do it, it's not, we're not just going to do it for 25. We're not going to do it for 50. Right. This is, you want to put it in your, your repertoire, you're going to give it your 100%. Well, Mike gave it 100%, like you said, 8,000 rounds. That's commitment. So you have to commit to the process or the process isn't going to work. And it, it, it's we don't all become champions just out of the womb. I mean, it's, it's you, you have to give 100% and, and the trial and error. So with him saying that, just so listeners understand, I mean, 8,000 targets. He suffered, and his ego took a hit, oh. you know, and his confidence took a hit, but he was committed to the process. So when you're committed, it, the end result is, is here. And Ricky can attest to it, too. We see this in our clinics. People take our clinics, and they'll come like one time, and then you never hear from them again. Yep. And, and then you see them down the road, and they're either the same or they're worse. You, you got to have that commitment to a program. I don't care who you pick from. Yep. Like I said, try everybody. Get your yep. own style. But then you have to commit to it. You have to work at it. You know, the biggest mistake I tell people in practice, I say, oh, we're going to go practice. Yeah, what are you going to practice? And they go, what do you mean? I said, what are you going to practice? We're going to go shoot. No, that's not practice. When I go practice, I'm going to do the off-the-corner drill. Well, what's that? I said, well, you learned it at the clinic. How come you're not doing it? And if I get a repeat person, I ask, well, how many of the, you know, off the corner drills have you done? How many of the shoot the piece drills have you done? Well, I just thought that was for the clinic. No, that's what I do. When I go practice, I will do all these things to help myself get ready for the match. To go out and shoot 25 singles targets to break 25, to me, is boring, and you're not learning anything. <laughs> Period. 100%. We have to practice with a purpose. Making the practice harder than what your event is, is how Absolutely. you excel to the next level. I remember one of the drills that I used to do was in singles, I would shoot wobbles or I would add speed to the target or I would start working on the whole point drills, like you said, yep. where you're learning. But back to Mike Tallis, writing down where you are and knowing where home is before you go try something else and start getting too far away from your island. Because- I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've tried to hold high gun and I can do it, but it's just not my preferred method of shooting. But when I went to do it, I knew exactly where everything was. And then I said, okay, I'm going to go high hold. And I went 2,500 rounds trying it to say, okay, this is what I like about it. And this is what I don't like about it. And to this day, I can go out there and pull that gun out and be like, you know what? We're sitting here. It's in Kansas. We got that 60 mile an hour face wind. And I've got that high hold move, but I don't bring it out when I'm in Tucson. You know, I'm not bringing it out most days of the week, at least for me. You know, I think the guys like Ricky and I watched them, you know, because if you have a, I mean, um, the other type, what am I looking for? Uh, Sean Holly, same way. Down yeah. you, you never lose sight of the target. Nope. You know, it's, it's it goes above your, it's right there. And you just got to go out and touch it, you know, but they wanted to go to this, you know, side movement and do all that, shoot 130% high guns. If you can do that and you're successful, God bless you. It's just not my style. Yeah. It's just not my style. So Never again, seen. I tell people, try it, you know, read the yep. target. 
you know, when you're shooting targets, especially at singles, if you're taking the bottoms off, well, maybe you need a little bit more gun movement, a little bit more gun speed, you know, until you center up on that target. So that, that's a big thing that I try to teach people. Read your brakes. Some yeah. people say, we can't do that. Well, okay, you can't do it. Well, that's what I do. When, yeah. you know, when we're right in the middle of it, we got a lot of confidence with this big smoke bubble. Yeah, Zach, um, Zach, when we shoot a lot together, Zach, Zach's on the low end of the smoke ball contest with me and Bullard. <laughs> yeah, but you got to be Zach. Let me tell you something. When you add them up at the end, they don't grade them. They just score them. Exactly. He's still on the low end, Mike. <laughs> He'll get there. He's coming. He can't stop jabbing at me. He loves it too much. I love it. Going into your smoke balls. Are you a tight choke believer? Or are you changing chokes between handicap double singles? Or what's that situation going on? Because I know we've had a lot of listeners ask about point of impact. They've asked about chokes. What what do you got going on for setup? What kind of gun are you using? Well, I use the traditional cade. I've gone to Ricky. I went to Ricky because he, sh- you know, went to shoot that uh, trap special shot. Shoots it like we don't even have to talk about that. Uh, yeah, it just wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't the gun for me, and I was so used to the other gun, and I just stuck with it. Uh, I just worked with a guy named Rusty Oswaldo. Russ is from uh, Colorado. We spent a year and a half building the stock, and um, everything that I've learned that I wanted to put into it. You know, um, Russ was just a great, great wealth of knowledge for me. So, you know, I, I'm going to start with a new stock out at the spring grand for singles i'll use uh, uh, uh Eister choke they made me uh, like twenty two thousand. it's a modified choke for singles and it hits them just as hard as is a, is a uh, 35 thousandths remember the, the constriction doesn't necessarily mean you know that it's full or whatever i mean these guys that have refined this you know this choking thing i mean I've seen some chokes that you'd say 22,000, and it looks like you're hitting them with, you know, 40,000. Now, what, what choke was that? Was that Wilkinson? No, the, uh, the Eister. Eister. Jimmy Eister. I don't even know if I've heard of that. Yeah, of Ohio. He, he took a screw-in choke, and he, he put it in there for me on one of the barrels I had. And then I had Kerry uh, Alor uh, did my handicap barrel, uh, for, which I, I kind of liked that barrel. Tommy did my over and unders. And um, again, once I get it where I want it, I usually don't touch it too much. You have three barrels? Yeah. 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 I get three barrels. The, the, the handicap barrel is 34,000. And Carrie Allor did that barrel for me. And the other one's 1828, the over and under that Tommy did for me. And then the Eister one, I can put in anything I want because it's a screw chip. Okay. Well, that's, 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 Really cool. Is the point of impact all the same on those? Or yeah, they all run around about 100% high, you know, 90, 10, 100% high, yep. you know, for where I'm going. You gotta remember now, here's the other fly in the ointment is I shoot double release triggers. Now, you gotta, the release trigger system, you have to find a really good mechanic to work on your triggers because it, it's just such a different course. The pull triggers, you know, it, it's you can be a little bit, um, you can be a little bit off on, on that. Not much, but when you're off on a release trigger, you got problems. So, 
so Mike, anything new going on with you? Are you getting ready? I know you're coming to the spring grand. Mm-hmm. And then after the spring grand, what's uh, what's your next shoots for the season? Well, actually, Teresa and I are leaving Thursday. We just got whacked with 18 inches of snow and more coming, but we're heading to the Silver Dollar. Okay. We're going to be there for two months. I'm going to be doing some privates down there. And then, of course, shooting at the Seven Grand, the Florida State, and maybe the Jacobson or whatever. Just kind of roll out, do what we got to do. You got to shoot with uh, Debbie and Don, uh, Don okay. Nielsen, Debbie O'Reilly Nielsen, you know, which is a good squad to be with. A lot of fun. I get to see, you know, Kay and spend some time with him and all our people that we get to see down there. I mean, you get to see Ricky, you see you, Zach. I mean, that that's the, the fun part of it. Then out to the spring grand um, and, you know, for February, do that shoot, that 10-day shoot, come back. We're going to head up to Kentucky. Uh, Teresa and I are going up there to, you know, do some sightseeing. And then over to uh, the next shoot we'll have is the Keystone in Elysburg, Pennsylvania. Okay. And then, you know, the PA state and you know, just all that. We want to try to go around to some different states, too. And see some other, we've got invites all over the country to come shoot, but it's just finding the time to do it. Are you going to come out and shoot Ohio State shoot or not? I have never shot at the Cardinal Sun. Never shot there. Never fired a shot there. Sure, yeah. and, I, and I do want to do it sometime. It just hasn't worked for me as far as, you know, the scheduling. You know, there was that time, and Ricky, you can relate to this. When I was up to about, when I won, what, the play target? The doubles championship and the all around for the sub vet in 2013. I was yeah. just coming back into it because I took some time off, you know, to spend Teresa and I to spend time with Jake. Yeah. You know, we yeah. went to AAU basketball games, we went to, you know, football games, we went to track meets, and I didn't want to miss that. Yep. I didn't want to miss that. You know, Ricky's got Tyler with him, you know, he gets to spend some time, which I yeah. think is super. You know, and, it makes uh, it fun again. It does. It does. It, it makes it fun. So I, I don't regret not staying in and go, you know, pounding every week and shooting all those targets because this is another thing for the sport. If you can stay relatively healthy, you can come back and be competitive at a later age in your life. Teresa's starting to shoot a little bit more, you know, and here's the other deal can't teach your wife. So I hand <laughs> her over to Ricky. I know. Ricky, take her to the traps, do what you can every do time. Now. PA, Teresa's like, are you going to help me? Because Mike can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's incredible. But I want her to have a good time, too. You know, because yeah. we're traveling around and stuff, and she, and you, she's competitive. That woman oh, yeah. is yeah, competitive. That's a fact. Now, is she coming to, to Tucson with you? No, no. Um, she's going to stay down in Florida. Okay. And then she has some friends down there. She's going to hang around there and uh, you know, enjoy the pool, the warm weather. I mean, as the older I get, we like a little bit of the warm weather. And, you know, she lets me, she knows I'm okay because I'm out there with Mike Tullis. So. You're, you're out there with your second wife, Mike. Yes. Yes. My friend. Mr. My, great, my, my great friend. And he your is sightseer. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll tell you, he is my great friend. I've been with, Mike and I have been friends for 20 plus years. And he yeah, he's a great do guy. Anything for anybody. Oh, he yeah. Is that type of person. And uh, again, another type of people you meet in the game. And, yeah. you know, I get to, um, you know, well, that's where I get to see all my friends that I only get to see once a year at the Grand. 
Because not many well, people come east. No, I, I try to. I mean, I always come to PA. I'm trying to get oh, Zach to come out there. But I'm probably coming this year. I'm getting he's scared. People, I got to come. But hey, you know, he's scared. Rick, you know, and I really uh, like, and I should say, respect people that this is not an easy target out here. No. Unless you shoot it, you it's don't different. know the difference. It's different. I, it takes me a long time to get used to the Tucson target. It takes me three or four days because I see it so good. I jump it, and I got to slow down. You're like, these are too easy. What do I do? Well, sort of that way. It's the visibility that I see. Back here, we have so yeah. much different backgrounds. We have wind conditions. You guys have that, too. It's just a different track. You know, yeah, yeah. look at the clubs that we go to. Well, and, and a lot of people don't understand where Mike's at, and I, I've taught at the King at the Gun Club there. <laughs> I mean, it's a trade line. I remember, like the fifty yard stake was cut out, notched, and I'm like, yeah. the trees are like thirty five yards. So you got a target, Zach. That a true fifty yard target. If you didn't break it, it was hitting a tree and breaking in the air. Hey, I didn't stop the best yard. It was tough. Well, it don't work that way, but people from the, the West Coast or the Midwest that don't see those targets, and then they see, they look in trap, because I've heard this my whole shooting career. God, you look at the scores from the New England states, the, the scores are low. Though I said, well, the background, what do you mean? I mean, we have background here. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's different. You, we got flat ground. Go, I go shoot it. Here. Go shoot it and then tell me what you think. And that's really exactly. all you can tell people that haven't been up to New York, that haven't been up to PA, that haven't shot yep. those places. I've been there and shot them when I was a kid, and it was a humbling experience. And mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to getting up there. I'm thinking about going to the Empire Grand this year. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're 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 going to get back up there and, and shoot some rough stuff. But yep. Cicero's um, a great place to shoot at. I've been there a few times and shot. I've been fortunate to won a few events and championships, but it, it's not just your everyday easy target, you know. It really isn't, but you know, you like, you're a wealth of knowledge. I know we could go for three hours straight talking to you because you've got so much stuff. You know, is there any sponsors that you'd like to thank before we get out of here um, today? Yeah, of course, you know, Dieter and Betty Pregoffs have been with me for, for a long, long time. Um, Great people, classy people, great organization, and a great product. I mean, it's just a great product. And, of course, uh, Remington. Um, I'm, I'm proud to be back with the Remington team after uh, being, you know, they kind of didn't have a team for a while. I was with them, you know, back. I was back with them in the 2000 area. And uh, to be back with them now, um, and I'm, I like where it's going. I mean, I, my teammates that are on it, great people, great shots, represent good ambassadors to the game, um, you know, quality ammunition, and um, very, very grateful because, you know, I didn't feel that, you know, I'm not of a certain caliber, but, you know, as Mike said, he says, you know, we're looking for people that are approachable, they're good shots, but we're looking for people that are approachable and, and we'll talk to the the public for us and be a good ambassador for our sport. So I appreciate it. Well, I know they're proud to have you. And I will say that you are definitely of the caliber and we appreciate you sharing your insight. And I know we're going to want to have you on here again. That being said, we would like to thank our show sponsors winning behind Ricky there, uh, Lincoln 
Missouri, uh, Luke and Bobby Chambers, uh, they're great people and give them a chance. Obviously, uh, Craig off guns because they support all of us on the show today. Yes. And uh, Remington Arms for stepping up and uh, and supporting us and our listeners. So this has been a great episode. One last thing before I get out of here. If people want to take a lesson from you, Mike, or do one of your classes, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Is there a website? Is it a phone number, email? What's What's the best way for the listeners to get a hold of Mr. Blaisdell? Well, you can go right on the Krigoff website under the Pro Instructor area. And all my contact information is right there. But if you want to send me an email, it's mjbtrap at gmail.com or 603-313-9788. I'll be happy to talk to you and um, see if we can help out. Thank you so much for giving us your time today, Mike. And it's been a pleasure. We'll talk to you really soon. And we'll see you guys very soon. Absolutely. Good to talk to you, Mike. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. You too. Bye.